With all the complexities, obstacles, and frustrations facing medical providers today, you still have peers out there getting things done and moving medicine forward. Who are they, and how are they doing it? Welcome to Peer Spectrum, the show where we uncover the creative solutions, innovative tools, and advanced practices of our peers throughout the full spectrum of healthcare. Here are your hosts, Keith Menken and Colin Miller. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Colin Miller here. Keith Mankin. Keith, good afternoon. Hi, Colin. How are you today? I'm great. It's Friday afternoon. Looking forward to the weekend. How about yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Weather's beautiful here and looking forward to getting some outdoor time. Me too. We're going to do the same thing. Well, let's uh, take a look at one issue today. We're going to do a quick episode here. It's one of our in-between episodes on one specific area. We're going to try this out we want to talk a little more about patient communication and particularly how do we measure our effectiveness? How deep are we connecting with patients and how are we doing? So there's all sorts of different ways to do this. There's surveys, there's online reviews. I think the best, Keith, just take us back to your practice and give us an idea how you measured your connections with your patients, how your staff was doing and what worked and what didn't. Sure. Um, well, you know, first of all, the, the you want to try to have as much of a personal connection with your patients as you can so that they can give you feedback on a real-time basis. I mean, obviously, the best way to get feedback is uh, when they're leaving to have them talk to the nurse or talk to the staff and say, you know, that was a great visit or, you know, this visit would have been better if such and such had happened. That way, you can actually pin that with a uh, face. You can give it with the incident, whatever. The problem with that, of course, is, is anecdotal, like so many things. We, we hear, oh, that's a good story, that's a testimonial, and everybody has testimonials on the website, but a testimonial is only one story, so you really do need some sort of data. Um, it's very important in medicine, uh, and I'll, I'll branch off a little bit from what you had asked me, just to, to point out that We've got to collect some sort of data to tell us what we're doing, both from a medical standpoint and from an office standpoint, uh, because if we don't do it, it's going to be done to us. Uh, every metric, every insurance company that we send information to is collecting data on us, and they will use it for grading. They will use it for uh, rec. Uh, uh, sorry, for compensation. They will use it for everything. And I uh, guess what? They're going to use it against us. They're not going to use it. Oh, I really like that guy. I'm going to build it up. So if we want to advocate for it, we better have our numbers ourselves. I, I couldn't agree more. And that takes us back to it. It's a good time to ask a customer is right after they were there. If you're on Amazon, right. you know, how did you like this book that you just bought? You're l less likely to review it a month from now. They do a pretty good job there. So if I'm a patient in your office and I'm just a little, a little unhappy that I had to wait 20 minutes, you know, I took some time off of work and I mentioned right. this casually to the nurse on the way out, how, how do you measure that and how do you put that into a tracking system? Yeah, you should always have a survey ready. Um, it's important to have uh, at least a brief series of questions, which are number coded, because number codes actually give you a number that you can use to see changes and, and denote trends. And you should have it ready whether you're in the midst of a survey time or not. The perfect situation, uh, and we did this a couple times uh, with my solo practice, and we did it in some of my group practices as well, is to write a survey, have 
a stretch of time, figure out whether it's two weeks, three weeks, whatever's going to work with you, whatever you can actually manage according to how many patients you come in through the door and uh, whatever's going to give you data that somebody can actually work with and do that on a regular basis. Now, regular basis will vary. It depends on whether you want to do it uh, twice a year, once a year, every month. It depends on how much you want to change and how much you want to micromanage. But have the survey questions ready. And then when somebody comes up with a comment, good, bad, indifferent, hand them the survey and say, you know, it would really be helpful if you could fill this out for us because this is the exactly the kind of information that we want to use. So use the survey during survey times, but also have it available all other times and actually offer it to people. You know, if you're interested and want to give feedback, please fill out the survey, even if you're not doing a formal collection. Makes sense. Let's make sure we're including everyone in the audience because I can hear it right now. We have some employed physicians who have no control over the operational aspects of their office. There's an office manager, maybe it's even overseen by a group practice manager somewhere else, and they're making these decisions and, and there's just very little control. What could that person do, even if they have to just try to measure their own activity with patients? Right. Um, first of all, it's always a good idea to realize that you do have control over your actual uh, clinic environment. You may not be able to change operations. You may not be able to, to even make sure you have the same uh, service rep every single time you t come into a clinic. But you have control over what, how you interact with your patients. You have control over the, how the patients meet you on the day-to-day -day setting. So when you're in the clinic with the patient, you have total control over that. So you are the one who is in the best possible position to get the feedback. Um, again, having a small survey that you can bring out that is personally aligned, even if it's not something that goes to uh, your practice manager, can be very helpful because you can look at those numbers uh, and say, well, you know, what they say is that I, am, I don't have enough waiting room space. We're too crowded. And you can go to your practice manager and say, my patients are begging for more space. Let me have the bigger office. And you can use that as uh, ammunition, if you will. That's probably the wrong term. Better to, to just say as information that you can then use when you're negotiating. So it, even at the micro level, it's important to have your own collection. You know, an outcome study doesn't have to be a fancy, fancy thing. It was the S. Uh, F, um, you know, 32, 40, it depends. There's all the hip scores and everything. You can, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars um, a year and sometimes per patient on these elaborate outcome studies. And then the good thing with that is then you can add your patients to a national register and we get big information about it. But you don't need that for outcomes. All you need is a simple survey. Remember, if uh, you ask a single question, yes, no, are you feeling better today? That's an outcome survey. I mean, that is testing an outcome. That's true. Now, I wouldn't say just, just have a single question, but come up with three questions that you can ask. In my case, uh, the ones that I always ask patients are, um, you know, do you feel better than when you started? Do you feel like you're making progress? And the third one is, did you understand what 
uh, was going to happen with your treatment and has the treatment gone along with your level of understanding. So that tells me three things. It tells me my uh, treatment was working or my treatment plan is working. It shows me that the patient is continuing to do well on the treatment plan. And it also tells me that the way I presented and the way I communicated the treatment plan was successful. That is an outcome. Now, if you do it on a scale of one to five, you can come up with a little score, do it an average. So let's say my average on that thing was 4.9. Uh, well, all 4.9s over 20, 25 patients, and then I get a 3.1. I have to say, okay, why was this a 3.1? I will learn something about that patient. I'll learn something about that particular case, and I'll learn something about my practice just from that simple survey. And you can add questions or subtract questions or make it as complex as you want, but it doesn't have to be elaborate. It just has to be. That's the important thing. It just has to exist. Well, there's two things really important there, and I think we should take a look at both of them. Uh, what you just said about having three things, that's very common in a lot of surveys, especially in the business world. And it also forces you to make your thinking and your strategy a little more concise, but it also respects the time and the attention of your audience and the people you want to fill, have filling out surveys. But let's take one step back before we unpack that a little bit more, and let's talk about when you're negotiating with the hospital, when you're negotiating with hospital administrators. We've said this before, and it's worth reviewing because in the business world, and these people are business people, the language of business is presentations, data, metrics, projections. That's what they want to see. So if you're a surgeon and you go to the um, chief medical officer, if it's a smaller hospital, if you're going to your um, service line director and saying, I need a new microscope. Well, their first thought is you're doing the cases without a microscope now. So saying that this is absolutely critical, I'm not going to be sold on that initially. You're going to have to, do, you're going to, have to show me why this is better for you and the patient. But two, they're going to want to know how expensive this thing is, how they're going to pay it off. Is this going to decrease surgical time? Is it going to decrease infections? Is it going to decrease blood loss? Whatever. And if you're not prepared with that information, you're, you're creating one more barrier between them and making the decision you want. So if you can close that gap a little bit by doing some of the work for them, you have a greater chance of being successful. And this is the language they speak. This is what they, they're going to have to do because generally the person you're talking with still has to get approval from someone else. And that could be a value analysis committee in the hospital. It could be multiple chains of command all the way up to and maybe even including the CEO. So this should be something you think about anytime you want something. And it also forces you to really clarify your own thinking because maybe you don't want this as much as you thought because you need something else. Or maybe your team needs something else that's of less individual value to you, but you guys really need multiple pieces of equipment for other cases that you're looking at and you've been training on, whatever the case may be. So I think that's really important, Keith. So this is one more metric that you're thinking right now as a hospital-employed physician, I don't have. They just throw this at me every month or every quarter, but I don't have my own metrics to compare with, and I really feel like I'm out of, out of the loop. This is your chance to actually get your own data on how you're doing. It's a great suggestion, Keith. I, I really like that. So let's go back to just private practices too. You have a little more flexibility there because you may be able to implement something with your partners, with all the staff and really getting things down to three questions, I think is a good place to start. If this is your first time doing a survey, I think that's the best place to focus. And let's talk a little bit more about those three questions you just asked Keith. Um, 
if you're a patient and you're coming into an office, how likely are you to fill out a survey that has three versus maybe 10 or 20 questions? And what's going through your head? Right. The advantage of the three question is it's something that the patient can fill out by themselves. Uh, anything you get above that seems complex, especially if it's got sub questions and there's there's a bunch of numbers to circle, and especially if you're in a in a mixed age group uh, practice. Uh, obviously, if you have older patients, they may need help filling out the survey anyway, but keeping it to a minimum is going to make it more efficient. And so, yes, the patients will fill it out themselves, and you don't necessarily have to have staff time for somebody to sit there and, and fill it in. The problem is if you have a really small uh, survey is you may not have as much differentiation between the numbers. So if you only have three numbers to average, then that average may not be as accurate as if you have 10. So uh, I'm not sure where three comes from, except it just seems to be what everybody wants. When you come up with three uh, action items, or I'm sorry, when you come up with a list of action items, it's three. When you come up with uh, agenda items, it's usually three. It just seems like that's the perfect number. And I think people are ready to, to um, to accept that and will say, oh, I can take the time for three questions, nothing to it. Well, let's go with that because let's just look at our hypothetical here. You're in your office. You've never done this before. You're either a solo practitioner or you're in a group practice. You're going to try this experiment on your own. Obviously, you want to include more than just the patient's feedback on your recommendations, your treatment, how you're doing. You also want to talk about the staff. But you know, tell me what you think here. I think this is a good opportunity to try this out on yourself, get feedback for maybe a month, maybe two months, compile that data, and then present it to your staff and say, hey, I, this is something we're going to start doing, but I wanted to see how I'm doing first, and I wanted to share that with you. Because it shows that you're obviously open enough to, to self-criticism, to self-improvement, and it gives them sort of a viewpoint that they may not have had before. And you can even suggest or or solicit suggestions from them and then start looking at questions that have to do on the staff and the operational efficiency and so forth and so on. How does yeah, that sound it, for a strategy? Just, just starting out. We want to make yeah, it simple. It's, it's good. You want to make it simple. You want to have a, a relatively simple, concise uh, thing that you want to measure. Uh, you don't want to just ask the survey questions. I was involved in a survey where they asked unbelievable number of questions about the parking and the buildings and the bathrooms and things like that. And the questions they asked about the actual medical care was, uh, did you like your doctor? And everyone said, you know, yeah, 10 for the doctor, but four for the parking. And we were getting these scores of, well, your average score was a 4.7. And I said, oh, I must be doing really bad. And you look at it and it says, no, that's because people are, are can't find a parking place. So you don't want to necessarily mix that up. Now, there is a place uh, for a survey about the physical plant. No question. Do you like the color in the waiting room? Yes or no, one or, one or two. Um, no question that that's of import, but you don't want to mix that up and you don't want to add that to your own individual survey. So figure out what's important to yourself, to you uh, as a physician. Um, in my case, uh, it was the communication. I wanted to know that people were understanding what I was telling them and then what they were going through matched what their understanding was and that's the question about um, you know whether or not um, the care uh, the third question whether or not the care was going the way they understood it was going to go and then you want to see if people are improving and if people are um, 
feel like they're progressing on the curve, uh, on the care. That those were the questions that I thought were important. That may not be that important to you. You may not worry too much about the communication, although I would tell you you probably ought to. But it may be more important that people um, knew how to um, uh, access their labs. Um, that people um, were understanding uh, the system to get their medicines and that the medicines were made clear to them as to what they were for. You know, it will match your practice and what you think your, import, your um, most important parameters are. So you have to make the survey fit yourself just like any, every other part of your practice. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's take a step back here. So if you're listening right now and you're thinking – where do I even start with this? Um, think about national polling when there's elections going on. Think about the Gallup polls if you've seen this in your organization. There's people who have dedicated their entire careers to figuring this out. And it does change from time to time. So this is not a perfect science. We don't have the exact three questions you should start with. And that may vary based on the size of your practice, your specialty, um, your own personality, what you're looking for. So one thing I really ask everybody to do is just get on the website and think about either three questions that you are using in your qu practice or something that you think would be valuable so we can share these. It'd be great to have a really long list that we can repost and you can just take a look and see what might work for you. And this is just an experiment. And you will get better with this over time. You'll learn new things. And there may be other priorities that are important in your practice, like are we going to open a satellite practice, for example? And then you really want to know about driving distance and um, convenience of your current location for your, your patients. Um, these things can change over time, but it's a good place to start. Three questions is a great place to start, and there are a lot of organizations that do this professionally, and that is exactly what they do. So, Keith, let's... Um, I, oh, go let ahead. me inter interject quickly that uh, you're probably already asking the three questions anyway. You'd alluded to that, Colin. When you have a uh, history portion, the, the questions you ask, the way you address a patient when they're first in the room, you're probably asking three questions which will be very important to, to track the results of. So stop and think, what questions do I ask my patient every single time they're in the room? And see if that's something you can put a number on and see if that's something that will reflect what kind of care you're giving, the responses to those answers. I like it. Well, let's talk about the staff now. So one, I actually had a conversation recently with a staff member at a pretty busy orthopedic practice, and she was describing their survey technique. And this is actually, we're going to look at their practice a little closer in the future because their model is interesting in a number of ways, and that may be even a guess we're going to have on in the future. But they actually get 100 surveys returned on average every month, which is a very high percentage based off of their patient volume. So they're doing that right. But another thing they do is when... The administrator comes around to their practice, and this is part of a larger group practice in a larger health system, so they're going from place to place. They don't focus on anything negative. They're only there to focus on the positive responses they've gotten from patients. And they've, one, done a good enough job. They're not getting anything too negative, and they do try to deal with that on an individual basis, maybe with that patient and follow-up. But they're using this as a tool to motivate their own employees. It really does feel good when you get 10 notes that come back that name you personally and say, wow, Colin really did a lot to help me out. I was having a tough day and I was really nervous coming to see this doctor. And I just felt like Colin really cared about me personally. 
And for these staff members in your team, this can be a really powerful effect for them and for the whole office. And Keith, just take us back to your practice. Give us some examples of when you guys got really good feedback from patients. How did it feel and, and how did you channel that to, to help others? Yeah, well, it's it goes back to what I've been saying a, along the way with this and the um, the buy-in of the staff that you need to get the staff to understand that they're a part of the mission, and that's true probably for any kind of office you have, but particularly in medical care, a lot of times the people who are at your front desk, for instance, are not necessarily trained in medical care. Some of them have some medical classes, so they know the terminology, but they don't really know what it means when a person is walking in the door. So the best way to get people involved is to give them positive reinforcement for the good things that they do, I think. I remember a lot of times where uh, I would be back in my office doing some charting and one of my uh, front desk people or my nurse would come back and said, I just wanted to tell you that uh, Mrs. So-and-so just uh, complimented me and said that uh, that um, uh, it was uh, – such a pleasant experience and I was so nice to them and I really made this a, a good thing. And it wasn't so much like, so what are you going to do? Are you going to give me a bonus type thing? It was they were coming back because they were so pleased that they had made had a positive effect on on this. Or when a child, you know, I'm in pediatrics, so when a child stopped crying because of an intervention from one of my staff, they uh, would back and tell me, so I did this and they stopped crying. It was so cute. And that was such a nice feeling. You could really see the tension lift and you could just feel the whole spirit in the in the front office just rise. So the more they hear that, the positive reinforcements from the patients, the more they'll try to get more because it makes it a more pleasant experience, it makes that a better place for them to work. I think the fact that the surveys are there, the fact that it's all out there, first of all, puts them on their best behavior because they know there's going to be complaints out. But it also puts them on good behavior because everybody likes to get an attaboy as well. Everybody likes to hear uh, an attagirl, <laughs> right. an atta person. Um, they like to hear that they're doing something well. And so they will work harder to get those. Once you taste the reward, you want the reward more and more. That's how the, the carrot side of the carrot and stick works. And um, you can really get some great working environments and some great efforts from people without giving them gifts and without lavishing them with these, these monetary things and palpable things just with the feeling that they're valued. And it really doesn't take much time. And you let, the, in this case, you let the, the patients and the clientele do that for you. You let the patients and clientele uh, reward them by putting them in a position where they can get the positive feedback. Yeah. I, I think everyone can see this. This is worth trying. If you're not doing it now, it, it's worth a try and you will be able to see real results pretty quickly. And let's just talk about someone who's going to implement this within the next month. What are some things they do have to be aware of though, Keith? There is HIPAA involved. Yeah. There's, um, certainly going to be negative reviews. Let's, let's talk right. about that. Sure. Well, the HIPAA is not a huge um, issue because most of the people your staff should be HIPAA compliant. What you have to make sure of is that if you are sharing the reports or the surveys with someone that the individual identifiers are not uh, uh, laid out. So let's say that you're collecting surveys for yourself, but you're part of a bigger group and you want to take the surveys and then you want to put them all together. You can't say Mrs. Smith born date of birth XXX uh, 
about me when she came in for her bunion because that's completely non-HIPAA. Even though you're in the same group, you can't share information about patients that way. So you do have to anonymize them, which is fine. It's one of the reasons why you use numbers instead of comments. Um, the negative aspects you have to address, but I really like uh, what you were saying, and I, I'm very familiar with that orthopedic practice about the fact that they don't dwell on the negative results or the negative comments unless there is something positive, something constructive that they can do for it. No one is going to be loved by everybody. No one is going to have a perfect time all the time. Occasionally, the front desk people may be cross for some reason, something going on in their home or something going on or they've just had a bad interaction on the phone. And sometimes you just don't hit it off with someone. You, you say something and the person misinterprets it. It's unfortunately part of being human. So there will be negative comments. What you need to watch for is how many negative comments they are, what the scores backing up the negative comments are. If somebody is getting all tens on friendliness, but there's a comment that says, this is the most unpleasant person I've ever worked with, you know that there was a circumstance there that just didn't work. You just know that that's, that was a, some situation that just couldn't be controlled. But if somebody gets a comment like that and all the scores are in the ones or the twos, then you say, okay, there is something going on here, so we better address this. Maybe address it offline, maybe take it aside, take the, the person aside and discuss, discuss it with the employee, <clears throat> the staff member, and see if we can get to the bottom of what's going on. So you can't hide the, the negative stuff, but you also can't dwell on it. Uh, one of the problems with those surveys uh, that I told you about at uh, one of the other groups I was at, um, it was all about the negatives. I mean, it didn't matter that, that the doctors were getting tens on everything. It was, we've got to do something to improve because clearly we're not, people are unhappy with our parking and they're gonna go elsewhere and this is a terrible, it's a crisis, a crisis. Well, the more you yell it's a crisis, the more you, you are negative about even negative feedback, the more it's going to feed into itself. It's so true. Well, it's interesting because there are individual circumstances like you just mentioned, and a fourth component to this after our three questions could be, is there anything else you'd like to share with us, um, anything we could have done better, and let the patient yeah. actually write that out instead of right. just picking yeah. bubbles. What's the best question to put there if we're going to do this? And how do we, how do we measure that correctly? Cause that can be a real opportunity to, to dig in on some things they're very unhappy with or something that's not necessarily relevant to their overall experience. Like for example, they're angry at their insurance company because something got denied yeah. has nothing to do with the practice. Right. right. Well, I think if you're going to go for that sort of thing, it's worthwhile to have one of the questions, uh, how would you rate your overall experience? Um, there is the great question if you're going to expand a little bit. Now we're getting a little bit more out of the simple three-question thing. Now we're talking about maybe a five-question survey where you have the question, would you refer a friend, family member, would you come back for care in this clinic? Um, and that's a, a really important thing because people can say, oh, overall experience, um, my overall experience was an eight, eight, oh yeah, it was an eight, would you come back? No, two. Okay, disconnect, something's wrong, there's something happened. And then the question that you would ask in follow-up is how can we make your experience better? And even if your experience was a 10, some people will say you couldn't make it better, it was fantastic, but some people will say, well, it was a 10, but you know, 
you should have had lemonade or, or you should have had water available. You know, who knows? Right. Um, the common stuff, I don't know in your experience, uh, Colin, how often do people fill out the comments? I would say quarter of the time less that you actually get written comments in. I guess yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think how often I do it myself. And I will if I think the questions were completely off base and didn't address what my concerns are. And that may be what this is more useful for, is for us to calibrate these questions. So if we're getting a lot of those filled out, then maybe we do need a question about parking or availability of resources, uh, yeah. opening times on the weekend, whatever, whatever patients are looking for. So yeah. maybe it can be just a, a calibration tool more than anything. Yeah. Um, okay. I think it's worth considering. I wouldn't do it on the first round here. I think starting out with those three questions is a good way to start this experiment. Keeps it simple and manageable for everybody. But um, again, this is going to be an experiment. There's now no right or wrong way to do this, and there's no formula. And right. you can see that because these things change all the time. So I think in the second round, it, it's a it's a valuable component to put in there. Right. The most important thing about whatever you do with any kind of survey is make sure that you have clear-cut ownership to the survey. Make sure that everybody in the office knows whose responsibility it is to look at the results, tabulate the results, maybe come up with a report on the results, so that that's something that, that the provider may want to do uh, themselves. And it can be the provider who, who counts them. If you're collecting 10 or 15 surveys uh, a day over the course of only two weeks, you know, you take a weekend day and you, f and you do all the math and that's kind of fun and it, it uh, can be affirming. On the other hand, if you're doing 100 surveys a month uh, per office, per provider, whatever it is, that's way too much. You cannot possibly expect to do that by yourself as the provider. So you have to decide who in the office is going to do that train them to some degree, make sure they have the experience, make sure they have the interest. But if you don't do that, if it's, oh, it'll be the person who is on for the day, it'll be the, the nurse who's there. Well, what happens if you have multiple people is in reality, you have nobody doing it. And what happens is the surveys don't co get collected, they don't get tabulated, the results don't get come out, and you've wasted the, the patient's time and to a large extent, some of yours. So make sure there's ownership right up front. Make sure there's somebody who is engaged in this project. It can be you. It may not want to be you. You may want to make it someone else in the staff. Uh, if you're a huge group, uh, let's say we're talking about uh, 20, 30 providers, you may actually want to hire somebody, maybe a marketing person or someone who can do that because that is such a specialized thing in that num in those numbers and that kind of report is something that, that you can really get generate a lot of good information on. And so having an actual officer do that can make sense. But in a smaller practice, it shouldn't be so onerous an amount of time that there should be someone that you can find who has the resources, has the ability to do. Absolutely. Well, Keith, that probably just about wraps up our episode here. Um, really quick, we're just going to sum up a few things that we went over here. Um, and I'm just going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Just give me quick, it's just a summary here, but uh, the number of questions to start out with, what do you think? I think three. I think you can come up with um, uh, one fairly general and two more or less specific. One about uh, the immediate care and one about the, the, the progress and the arc of the care would be very important. Where is the care leading to for the patient and where does the patient feel the care is leading to for the clinic? What's the best time to do the survey immediately after they 
leave your exam room? Um, is it maybe a day later? Is it online? I would make sure that they fill it out and hand it in before they leave or you're not going to see it. Uh, the online surveys, I, I know there are practices that email a survey to them. I think they have very, very bad compliance with that. I think the best way to do is to hand them the survey. Don't say you can't leave until you fill it out, but give them the impression that you really want the results and that they're going to go into a, uh, a box that it's this, the doctor's not going to come out and read them right away because that's obviously going to put a, a damper on it. But just make sure you collect it before they leave because that's the best way to get compliance. And what's one of the best comments you can remember getting from a patient? Oh, um, you know, I've had patients say that I've saved their life. Uh, it's melodramatic. Um, on a, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty good, though. Yeah, I've had uh, a number of chronic kids, and this is the one that really plays uh, to me. And I walk in the room, and they start smiling, and the kids said, you are my favorite doctor. And the mother says, she's got a lot of doctors, and you are her favorite. You're the only one she gets excited about seeing. So How that's the kind that? of, that just makes me want to come back um, to work every single day. Yeah, because a child has got a lot of doctors. We all know what that means. So that's... that's 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 amazing. Well, with that, Keith, uh, I think that wraps it up for today. Yeah. Everybody, please just get online. Check out our website and give us your thoughts. Again, we don't have the right or wrong way to do this. We don't have the exact formula, and we'd really be interested in your feedback, what's working for you, or what you're thinking about maybe trying out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. We'll, we'll post uh, my three questions uh, on the, in the, um, the uh, notes for this uh, podcast. And why don't you return the favor and you send us three questions and uh, then let us know what kind of plan you have to get the survey done or be fascinating. And, and I think we can really help each other with these responses. So Absolutely. it's kind of, it's kind of a survey. None of you can leave the computer until you filled out these three questions. So let's go. But now let's drive in and listen to us. Just <laughs> get right. on it as soon as you can. Standard, yeah. <laughs> but that's it. Uh, folks, thanks again for joining us today. This is Colin Miller, Keith Mankin with Pure Spectrum. And we'll see you here, right, right here, whenever you want to listen to us next time. But we'll be here next week. Take care. Have a great weekend. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us at Peer Spectrum. Please support the show by writing a review on iTunes and join the conversation at PeerSpectrum.com. Keep up with the latest episodes and share your ideas with us on Facebook or email at PeerSpectrum.com.